Well, hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast, day number 15. Well, today we will be kicking off in Genesis chapter 31, verse 17, through chapter 32, verse 12. And as always, we will be reading out of the New Living Translation. So if I say something funny or you'd like to go back and see uh, what the Scripture says for itself, that is the translation I'm using, and I would encourage you to go back and look at it for yourself. With that said, let's jump in with verse 17. So Jacob put his wives and children on camels, and he drove all his livestock in front of him. He packed all the belongings he had acquired in Paddan and Aram, and set out for the land of Canaan, where his father Isaac lived. At the time they left, Laban was a distance away, shearing his sheep. Rachel stole her father's household idols and took them with her. Jacob outwitted Laban the Arminium, for they set out secretly and never told Laban they were leaving. So Jacob took all his possessions with him and crossed the Euphrates River, heading for the hill country of Gilead. Three days later, Laban was told that Jacob had fled, so he gathered a group of his relatives and set out in hot pursuit. He caught up with Jacob seven days later in the hill country of Gilead. But the previous night, God had appeared to Laban the Arminium in a dream and told him, I'm warning you, leave Jacob alone. Laban caught up with Jacob as he was camped in the hill country of Gilead, and he set up his camp not far from Jacob's. What do you mean by deceiving me like this, Laban demanded? How dare you drag my daughters away like prisoners of war? Pause here. Uh, if you'll remember, Laban um, is playing the guilt card here, but Laban is not actually that good of a guy. Uh, so you see how he's twisting the story on Jacob, saying, how dare you drag my daughters away when his own daughters said in the very last reading we had yesterday that um, their father had disowned them and was treating them like foreign women. So Laban's not really concerned about his daughters. He's concerned about what? He's concerned about himself. Verse 27. Why did you slip away secretly? Why did you deceive me? And why didn't you say you wanted to leave? I would have given you a farewell feast with singing and music accompanied by trombones and harps. Yeah, yeah right. N- no, he wouldn't have done that. Verse 28. Why didn't you let me kiss my daughters and gild... Oh, and let me go back for a second. Uh, actually, it doesn't say trombones. It says tambourines, which... Same thing, but I uh, I just noticed that, and I want to read the scripture as accurately as I can. But again, this isn't a planned out podcast. I'm literally reading it for the first time when I read it with you, so there's likely to be more mistakes like that. I just want you guys to know uh, so that you can go back and read it for yourself. Anyways, picking back up in verse 28, why didn't you let me kiss my daughters and grand- grandchildren and tell them goodbye? Why did you slip away secretly? Why did you deceive me? And why didn't you say you wanted to leave? I would have given you a farewell feast with singing and music, accompanied by tambourines and harps. Why didn't you let me kiss my daughters and grandchildren and tell them goodbye? You have acted very foolishly. I could destroy you, but the God of your father appeared to me last night and warned me, leave Jacob alone. I can understand your feeling that you must go and your intense longing for your father's home. But why have you stolen my gods? Verse 31. I rushed away because I was afraid, Jacob answered. I thought you would take your daughters from me by force. But as for your gods, see if you can find them, and let the person who has taken them die. So, so in other words, let me pause here. Um, Laban is accusing Jacob of stealing Laban's idols, and Jacob saying, I didn't do that. Uh, in fact, you know, you find out who did it and let them die, because it wasn't me. But what he doesn't know is that uh, Rachel was the one who took the idols. Anyways, picking back up. And if you find anything else that belongs to you, identify it before all these relatives of ours, and I will give it back. But Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the household idols. 
Laban went first into Jacob's tent to search there, and then into Leah's, and then the tents of the two servant wives, but he found nothing. Finally, he went into Rachel's tent. But Rachel had taken the household idols and hidden them in her camel saddle, and now she was sitting on them. When Laban had thoroughly searched her tent without finding them, she said to her father, Please, sir, forgive me if I don't get up for you. I'm having my monthly period. So Laban continued his search, but he could not find the household idols. Then Jacob became very angry, and he challenged Laban. What's my crime, he demanded. What have I done wrong to make you chase after me as though I were a criminal? You have rummaged through everything I own. Now show me what you found that belongs to you. Set it out here in front of us, before our relatives, for all to see. Let them judge between us. For twenty years I have been with you, caring for your flocks. And all that time your sheep and goats never miscarried. In all those years I never used a single ram of yours for food. If any were attacked and killed by wild animals, I never showed you the carcass and asked you to reduce the count of your flock. No, I took the loss myself. You made me pay for every stolen animal, whether it was taken in broad daylight or in the dark of night. I worked for you through the scorching heat of the day and through the cold and sleepless nights. Yes, for 20 years I slaved in your house. I worked for 14 years earning your two daughters and then six more years for your flock. And you changed my wages 10 times. In fact, if the God of my father had not been on my side, the God of Abraham, the fearsome God of Isaac, you would have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen your abuse and my hard work. This is why he appeared to you last night and rebuked you. Wow. Jacob goes off on Laban and well-deserved. He has worked so hard, and Laban is now attacking him. and really we see the selfishness of, of Laban in this. It, it is kind of awkward because Jacob doesn't know that Rachel did take things from Laban, and so Laban is kind of justified in his anger as well. Uh, but that line there at the end uh, in verse 42 where Jacob says, if it wasn't for the God my father, I would have left empty-handed is really striking to me uh, because that's that's true of all of us. Um, well, I say all of us, all of us who would believe that Jesus is the one who has come to lead us back into relationship with God, that if it were not for him, we would be empty-handed. It is only for from the God of this universe, the one who looks down and he sees those who are in need, and he sees the poor, not the poor financially, although that too, but, but the poor in spirit, those who know that they, they are helpless apart from the power of God, uh, and he helps them through Jesus. So we... we are much like Jacob. Um, We can slave away at life and really walk out of it empty-handed unless the God of this universe through Jesus and his grace allows us to be redeemed and bought into the family of God. Verse 43, Then Laban replied to Jacob, These women are my daughters, these children are my grandchildren, and these flocks are my flocks. In fact, everything you see is mine. But what can I do now about my daughters and their children? So come, let's make a covenant, you and I, and it will be a witness to our commitment. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a monument. Then he told his family members, gather some stones. So they gathered stones and piled them in a heap. Then Jacob and Laban sat down beside the pile of stones to eat a covenant meal to commemorate the event. Laban called the place Jagger Sedevadath, which is a terrible name for a place. Uh, But it means, as we continue in the verse, it says, which means witness pile in Aramaic. And Jacob called it Gilead, which means witness pile in Hebrew, which is comical. There's there's some definitely deep stuff going on there as you see the divide between uh, the Aramaic and the Hebrew. But I kind of find it 
funny, just the, um, you know, they, they, they can't even agree on what to call this place. Verse 48. Then Laban declared, This pile of stones will stand as a witness to remind us of the covenant we have made today. This explains why it was called Galed, witness pile. But it was also called Mitzvah, which means watchtower. For Laban said, May the Lord keep watch between us to make sure that we keep this covenant when we are out of each other's sight. If you mistreat my daughters or if you marry other wives, God will see it even if no one else does. He is a witness to this covenant between us. Boom. Let me pause there. God will see it even if no one else does. Uh, as I'm recording this, I had the privilege of preaching this morning in Leviticus chapter 15, which uh, is not a text that you would generally read with your children. It's talking about bodily discharges, male and female bodily discharges. Not fun at all. But Jesus in the New Testament um, makes a kind of a play on this, uh, and that is that it's not what you put into your body. He's talking to the religious people who are being overly concerned with the, the eating and the food laws that Leviticus lays out. But it's more concerning with what comes out of you, comes out of your heart, your, your discharge, if you will. Uh, so it, it's, it's the motivation from our hearts. And so oftentimes there are things that we get away with uh, that nobody sees, um, and sometimes they're good things on the outside, like we, we do a good thing for somebody, but really on the inside we were doing that good thing out of spite or for our own self-gain. Uh, and, and this is just a good reminder that God sees even if no one else does, uh, which uh, should be um, a very fearful thing if we think about it, friends. Uh, we are in trouble. If God sees our deepest and darkest thoughts, then, man, we, we all deserve his judgment, and, unless you're just a lot better than, than I am, because a lot of times the depths of my own soul are a lot different than what I try to portray to the world around me, uh, which is what makes the good news of Jesus all the better, right? That God sees that, and he sends his son who never had a, an ill thought towards somebody who always had the right motivation to live the life I couldn't live and die the death I deserved and rise again so that if I trust in him, I might be able to share in that righteousness. And then, through that power, begin to actually be transformed from the inside out. So I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to do things, um, not because I have to, or because I'm trying to appear good to other people, uh, but because I want to. The grace of God is transforming me. So that's powerful. Verse 51. See this pile of stones, Laban continued, and see this monument I have set between us. They stand between us as witnesses of our vows. I will never pass this pile of stones to harm you, and you must never pass these stones or this monument to harm me. I call on the God of our ancestors, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of my grandfather Nahor, to serve as a judge between us. So Jacob took an oath before the fearsome God of his father Isaac to respect the boundary line. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice to God there on the mountain and invited everyone to a covenant feast. After they had eaten, they spent the night on the mountain. Laban got up early the next morning, and he kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then he left and returned home. Chapter 32. As Jacob started on his way home, angels of God came to meet him. When Jacob saw them, he exclaimed, This is God's camp. So he named the place Mahanim. Verse 3. Then Jacob sent messengers ahead of his brother Esau, who was living in the region of Seir in the land of Edom. He told them, Give this message to my master Esau. Humble greetings from your servant Jacob. Until now I have been living with Uncle Laban, 
And now I own cattle, donkeys, flocks of sheep, and goats, and many servants, both men and women. I have sent these messengers to inform my Lord of my coming, hoping that you will be friendly to me. Oh boy, let's pause. Uh, If you remember, Jacob and Esau don't have a great history. Uh, Esau was supposed to have the blessing that Jacob had, and Jacob weaseled his way into getting what Esau deserved. We last saw Esau in a seething amount of anger wanting to kill his brother Jacob. And now Jacob comes back and he says, I'm going to send a letter. Hey, I'm just hoping that you might want to be friendly with me. Uh, so, so we'll see how this message goes uh, to Esau. Verse 6, after delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, we met your brother Esau and he is already on his way to meet you. Oh, that's great. My brother's coming with an army of 400 men. Uh, uh-oh, verse 7. Jacob was terrified at the news, as you would be also. He divided his household among the flocks and the herds and the camels into two groups. He thought, if Esau meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other group can escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God, my grandfather Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, you told me, return to your land and to your relatives, and you promised me I will treat you kindly. I'm not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to me, your servant. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I own nothing except a walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps. Oh, Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I'm afraid that he is coming to attack me, along with my wives and children. But you promised me I will surely treat you kindly and I will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as the sands along the seashore, too many to count. Hmm, my friends, and that's where our Old Testament reading ends. Kind of leaves us on a cliffhanger. Uh, Esau's coming, Jacob is afraid, and what does Jacob do? He shows us his faith. He prays to God, and this beautiful prayer, saying, I don't deserve anything, you've given me so much, and now I'm asking for more. I need your help. Which is all of us, to an extent. Um, God, you've given me everything. You've given me the gospel. I've been forgiven of my past sins. I have power over my current sins. One day I have the promised hope of a future uh, without the presence of sin. And yet, Lord, here I come, knowing I have nothing without you, and, and I'm asking for more. I need you again. I come to you needy, broken, and wanting. And uh, that's the kind of prayer God honors. And we'll get to see the result of that tomorrow in our reading. But on to our New Testament reading, Matthew chapter 10, verse 24, through chapter 11, verse 6. Students are not greater than their teacher. This would be Jesus speaking. And slaves are not greater than their master. Students are to be like their teacher, and slaves are to be like their master. And since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, the members of my household will be called even worse names. But don't be afraid of those who threaten you. For the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. Let's pause. I do find it just so interesting how our New Testament and Old Testament reading so often uh, match up. They're not designed to do that. We're just kind of reading through them in order um, in a a way that will get us through it in a year. But we see here Jesus says, uh, there is a time coming when everything that is covered will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. Well, that sounds a lot like what Uh, Jacob learned uh, in our Old Testament reading, and and that is that nothing is hidden to God. Even when no one else sees it, God sees it, and it will eventually be revealed. In fact, that is, as we read through Scripture, that is what judgment looks like. So a lot of times when we think of the judgment of God, we think, um, you know, hell fire coming down from the sky, 
or the plagues in Exodus. But more often than not, judgment is the form of you getting what you deserve. Like you thought you got away with it, and it was uncovered. There's something in the dark that came to light. You experienced the just righteousness of God. You didn't get away with what you thought you got away with. Verse 27. What I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops for all to hear. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without the Father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. In other words, God knows the sparrows. He cares for the sparrows. And you, my friend, are worth way more than a sparrow. In Jesus' time, a sparrow was um, worth half a copper coin. Two sparrows was one copper coin. Um, and Jesus says, you are infinitely more valuable than that. So, you know, if you believe that, then you have no reason to fear uh, because God is going to protect you. And he might not protect your body right now, but he's going to protect even more than that. He's going to protect your soul. Verse 32. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Anyone who receives you receives me, and anyone who receives me receives the Father who sent me. If you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you will be given the same reward as a prophet. And if you receive righteous people because of their righteousness, you will be given a reward like theirs. And if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. So let me go back up to verse 37 where Jesus is saying, If you love your mother or your father more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Those are hard words. Um, what Jesus is not saying there is that you should hate your mother or father. But what he is saying is, uh, and this is so true in our culture, but even more so in theirs, if they look at you like you're weird uh, or they shame you uh, for following Jesus or you know maybe following Jesus leads you to treat your finances different or your family different, uh, or maybe you're not going to go to the same places of entertainment you went with them before. Um, Jesus is saying, you've got to decide what's more important, following me or making them happy. Who do you love more? What do you value more? And for the Christ follower, it's Jesus above all. We love our family, but we've been bought into an even greater family in which God is the Father. And we may want our family to go with us, and we should want our family to go with us, uh, but we cannot go where our family is going. And this is so big in our culture. You see it all the time. People literally will pick careers. They will pick jobs based upon what their parents want them to do. And then they hate their life. And Jesus is saying, I don't want you to do it based upon what your parents want to do. Um, and and even in our culture, um, people who get that would say, so you should do what you want to do. And Jesus would say, no, I, I don't want you to do what you want to do. I want you to take up your cross, which would mean die to self and follow me. I want to do it, Jesus. I want to do what the Holy Spirit would lead me to do. Chapter 11, verse 1. 
When Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his twelve disciples, he went out to teach and preach in the towns throughout the region. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Let's pause. Now John the Baptist was the guy who was shouting from the rooftops, This is the Savior of the world. So what changed? Why is he now asking, Is this the Messiah? I thought John was really sure. Well, he was, but he's in prison. And we all know how, um, you know, it's easy for me to say, uh, don't be afraid because you're more valuable to spare out to God. Trust in God, trust in Jesus. But how many of you know when you're in prison, when you're in the dark place, uh, the dark night of your soul, the place you never thought you'd be, the pain and the struggle, it can sometimes be hard to believe what you know mentally. And this is where John is. And so he's, he's crying out, you know, I thought that this, this was the guy, um, but now it's not working out like I thought it would be. So he sends his followers to say, are you really the one we were looking for? Verse 4, Jesus told them, John's followers, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear. The dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Powerful line. God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Wow. May our faith be strong. Uh, what an interesting thing for Jesus to say. Yeah, I, I know it's hard. I, I know that sometimes life's going to go hard and you, you don't think I'm doing the right thing, but, but, but God blesses those who trust in me anyways. God blesses those who realize my plan and my ways are bigger than their ways. And even in prison, even in the dark night of the soul, when they don't feel like it, when it doesn't feel good, they say, I trust in Jesus. He is my hope. He is the one I lean on. He is the one I trust in. Very beautiful. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 16 through 18 says, She offers, she being wisdom, offers you long life in her right hand and riches and honor in her left. She will guide you down delightful paths. All her ways are satisfying. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Happy are those who hold her tightly. And our psalm of the day that we will pray through is the 13th psalm. It says, For the choir director, a psalm of David. O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever. How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Lord, I I know many who feel this way even tonight. I have gotten heartbreaking news from people I care deeply for. Lord, even on this own night, I I remember my own pain. Um, As I record this, on the day that I record this, it's the the anniversary of my father's um, death when I was 16 years old. Distinctly remember these feelings. Where are you, God? Um, Communities around us are hurting. There's tragedy all around us. And it's easy to say, where are you? And God, I thank you that you're not a God um, that's scared of us asking these questions. That it's not taboo, it's not wrong to say, God, where are you, or to ask these kind of questions. In fact, you put them and inspired them to be in your Holy Scripture. What freedom is that? You don't smite us, but Lord, you understand. You sympathize with our pain. You understand, and you know that we don't understand and know what you know. Lord, I just pray that those struggling tonight would be given peace, because in your word, you also promise that you draw near the brokenhearted. And Lord, I pray that this pain wouldn't ultimately cause them to run from you. But, Lord, as you've done for me every time I've went through one of these seasons, 
it would be used as a time to draw closer to you. And for those of us who are not in the valley season right now, give us wisdom as we love and comfort those who are. Verse 3, turn and answer me, O my Lord. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. Lord, give me the faith that David has here in Psalm 13. And the pit and the mire, and before he has an answer, there's no resolution in this psalm. And yet, Lord, he remembers what you've already done. And he sings with joy because he he knows who you are. He, he may not know what you are doing, but he knows who you are. Lord, and we, in the same way, don't always know what you are doing. Sometimes it makes no sense to us. But, Lord, we can still worship and have joy deep in our hearts because of who you are. And we know who you are because you didn't just write it in a book, but you took on flesh. You came and you lived. You walked among us. And you suffered in all the ways that we suffer. You were tempted in all the ways that we are tempted. You truly sympathize and empathize with us. And, Lord, we saw you. We know what you're like because we look to Jesus. And we know that Jesus wasn't just man, but he was 100% God who came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Lord, thank you for this reading today. Thank you for the Psalm and the Old and the New Testament reading. I just pray that it would be comforting to maybe somebody today who is feeling brokenhearted. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, that concludes our day 15 reading. Uh, If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by going to myascent.churchcenter.com and make a one-time or reoccurring donation so that we can continue to do this.